You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 13, The Jedi. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me uh, returning to the podcast, we've got... Nope, it's not Matt. It's Kyle Avery from The Saga Continues. How's it going, Kyle? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, Not too bad, not too bad. Matt is still... Not able to join us. Uh, uh, scheduling continues to be an issue. He is going to come back. I promise you guys. <laughs> He's coming back. Um, it, his life has just been crazy, crazy, crazy. So um, thankfully, we've got Kyle to fill in. Uh, you know, if we can't have He's going to come back. I promise you guys. <laughs> He's coming back. Um, it, his life has just been crazy, crazy, crazy. So um, thankfully, we've got Kyle to fill in. Uh, you know, if we can't have Matt, I guess Kyle is a is an okay replacement. Yeah, I know you've one. had a few different hosts rotating out uh, throughout yeah. the season so far, and I feel like I drew the lucky straw getting to come on for this episode. Uh, you definitely did. You definitely did because it's. Uh, I always say that like you and Tim, I always kind of keep in my back pocket because because um, I know that in a pinch you guys will jump in and and do an episode one of the two of you is almost always available like i don't think there's ever been an instance where i've asked the both of you like and both of you have said no for whatever reason so i was kind of keep you in my back pocket as like a uh well you know like if i if i can't find anybody else but when it came to matt matt messaged me at the beginning of the week and he's like man i'm i cannot um i can't i can't work it this week uh he really really wanted to be on this one uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I, it was pretty short notice and I was like, okay, <laughs> this is the time. And that was the time I, I, to, uh, to, to call up, uh, one of my, one of my reserve, uh, players here. And, uh, and yeah, so you got, you got lucky. You get to come in and you get to talk about, I mean, arguably this is the episode, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. like, there will be some cool stuff in the next three, I'm sure, but they will. It'll be much more unique to the Mandalorian, whereas this is like, man, we've been podcasting about Star Wars for twelve years, and uh, like this is it. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. I, this I mean, is the culmination of that twelve can, years, right? It's kind of arguable still. Like you know, people may have different preferences as far as what's their favorite episode so far, or what's the best episode of the series. But I don't know if anyone has gotten people talking quite like this one, and it's just a huge landmark episode, yeah. not just for the Mandalorian, but for Star Wars in general, and especially for those of us that have been following Clone Wars and Rebels and all that kind of stuff for as many years as we have. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it it it's a special episode. It's it's a very it's a very important one, um, regardless of how you feel about the the many uh, in galaxy controversies as well as real world controversies, which we'll get into. But um, before we do, let let's just 
talk about some news. Uh, uh, there isn't any. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, the Art of the Mandalorian comes out today as of us recording yeah, this. True. Um, I, I, I actually had it ordered on Amazon. I should have it in my hands already, but, um, but they sent me a notification today and were like, uh, yeah, by the way, you're not going to get this until December 20th. And I was like, that's not cool. So I said to Crystal, Hey, can you go out and (laughs) grab me this? Mm -hmm. So while I'm recording right now, she's actually out with the girls, uh, uh, running to the, to the local bookstore to grab a copy. Which is better, anyways? The better than giving Jeff Bezos another fifty yeah, that's bucks. True. That's true. Um, but uh, yeah, go go pick it up. I uh, because it's here's this is the one thing that I'll warn people on. If you've never picked up one of the Art of books, specifically the ones that that Phil Shostak has um, uh, curated and written, um, if you if you don't have any of these, buying this will definitely make you a collector because the art of books uh since the 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 disney purchase have been phenomenal they are they are excellent books and and the ones from the prequels are also really good the clone wars one that they put out for season one of the clone wars was fantastic um and the rebels one is a is a slightly different thing because it wasn't done by the same publishers it's it is the rebels one is good because it's got a lot of art but there's not there's not as much insight as i would like the the phil showstack ones for the the five movies that have come out as well as now the first season of Mandalorian. They're phenomenal. And when you pair them with the Pablo Hidalgo visual guides, it's like, that's, that's what you need. That's everything. And like, like if you want to know about how the shows, uh, movies, shows, whatever were made. And then, and then the, the, the in universe little, uh, you know, blink and you miss it moments. Those are the two things to get, but um, I'm very excited to get my hands on this. A lot of people have been talking about this book. Um, people who got the the early copies for review and, and there's been nothing but praise. So I can't wait to dig into this one and, uh, and, and see even more. I mean, we get to see the, the concept art at the end of every episode. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the, the book expands even more yeah. um, and goes into some of the detail and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I can't wait. And then obviously, you know, we'll get a, we'll get a season two next year, probably. Um, and, uh, you can just keep adding those to your bookshelf, but, um, it's not a cheap hobby collecting the art books, <laughs> uh, no. which is why I usually don't buy them myself. I usually just get them for Christmas every year. So I haven't pre-ordered this one yeah. yet, but I've, I told, you know, I've told people that I want it for Christmas. So I'm hoping to, to get a chance at that. I mean, and it's funny cause normally I have almost all the ones for the, uh, the recent movies, but I'm usually more interested in them for the artwork and not as much for like the behind the scenes kind of stuff. Cause I just like looking at all the, the visual concepts of, you know, the early ideas for the sequel trilogy and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like specifically with the Mandalorian, because we've already seen so much of the concept art and because I just love John Favreau and Dave Filoni and everything they're doing with this, this one, I'm actually more excited for all the behind the scenes stuff and their insight into it. Yeah. Um, as well as all the cool artwork. So definitely going to get that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, the other thing that we will do right before we get into the into the recap here is just remind you guys once again of the uh, trans rights or human rights. This is the way fundraiser. Go over to GoFundMe.com and then just uh, I think it's in the top left corner of the website. You can just search trans rights or human rights. This is the way and you'll find the fundraiser. Uh, I do this every time I should bring it up in, in advance. 
Um, but uh, I, last time I checked, it was uh, uh, it was hitting. Yeah, it, it's at seventeen thousand seven hundred ninety eight dollars. Oh wow, which is incredible. Um, we want to get it to twenty thousand before the end of the uh, before the end of December. So. Um, if you've got a couple of bucks today, as we record, this is giving Tuesday, obviously uh, black Friday last week, cyber Monday at the beginning of this week, and then giving Tuesday being the day after that. So, um, you know, if you've gone and you've spent a bunch of money on yourself, uh, getting yourself the Christmas presents, you're pretty sure nobody's going to get for you <laughs> the expensive stuff, right? Yeah. I, you know, just, just take a second and pop in, uh, on this fundraiser and, and, you know, even if, even if all you can give us five bucks or 10 bucks, um, as I've said before, the amazing thing about this fundraiser is that there are not big cash donations here. This is not, you know, like a, a, a fundraiser with a bunch of, uh, you know, a thousand dollar, um, uh, donations. There aren't even that many that are over 50. Um, but, but there, but there are hundreds of 10 and $20 donations. Um, and, and that is such a cool thing to see because it is, it's, as I've said before, it's not, it's not about the, uh, I, uh, you know, ha- having your big capital ship coming in or the Death Star blow something up. This is, uh, it's not a Navy. It's just people, right? Mm-hmm. It, they, like, it, it's just a sh- the sheer number. 577 donors, uh, 1.2K shares on this. Um, and as I also said before, if you can't afford to donate, click that share button and, and uh, tweet it out to your friends, post it on Facebook, uh, whatever you can do, send it in an email, um, get, get that word out, um, so that we can hit that 20,000, uh, goal, um, before the end of the month, I, everything, I, I, for this fundraiser goes to benefit the transgender law center, I, which, which helps with the fight for, uh, uh, trans rights. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously, uh, this season, this has been a big topic of conversation because of both Gina Carano, as well as the controversy surrounding Rosario Dawson. Um, so it's just, it's just a good way to, if you're feeling conflicted about watching the show, enjoying the show with these things out there in, in the ether, I, I, we can't, you can't, it's impossible to to only do good in the world, right? Like to make every decision perfectly and always do the right thing. <clears throat> but what we can do is is be cognizant of of the places where we might be falling short, or you know, I I uh, we might not be be living up to that, and we counteract it with with another action, right? So that that is all to say that that donating to this. Um, it, 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 it definitely helps you feel a little bit better, um, about supporting a show that, that has these real world controversies attached to it right now. Um, because, because we do want to support the show. We love the Mandalorian. We love star Wars. We love Lucasfilm. And, and I personally, I love Disney. I think that Disney is a great company that does a lot of really good stuff. I think that the good outweighs the bad. Um, in terms of both like the content they produce being an inspiration to a lot of people, as well as their their philanthropic initiatives that they have. I, I, I do think that they do a good job. 
but that's not to say that they can't do better and that we shouldn't be vocal about stuff. We should definitely communicate the places where, where these companies, these corporations are falling short, but I'll just end off by saying, um, Lucasfilm posted a new star Wars story today. And, um, that star Wars story is, is about a star Wars fan, uh, is the, our star Wars stories Mm -hmm. series, uh, that, that, that this most recent one that they just posted is about, uh, a a trans fan named justice, uh, and, and, and them telling their story and, I uh, yeah so it it it's uh sorry I don't know I don't know their preferred pronouns so I'm just going to use a gender neutral for now but um I yeah I it, the, it shows us that Lucasfilm does care that they are listening and that's important because it's it's it shows that that what we have done as a community has been heard right um so don't stop. Right. Even if it seems like it's falling on deaf ears, sometimes, sometimes it just takes these uh, corporations are big ships and it takes a really long time to turn a big ship. <laughs> right. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it, it's a complicated issue, but I think that, um, that the right things are happening. Um, and, uh, I, things are moving in a, in a, in a positive direction. I, I, so, oh, uh, so I, I'll just correct myself. I, so I, I, uh, justice, uh, uses all, all three pronouns, she, they, he, uh, so there you go. Um, that's nice. You can't, you can't be wrong. I, and, and that, that's a really great example right there of, I, this stuff is complicated. We're learning this as a society, uh, how, how to, um, communicate, uh, gender identity and, and, uh, and, and sort of navigate a lot of this stuff. It's okay to get it wrong. Uh, you just have to be empathetic and compassionate. And when you do get it wrong, I, I, you just have to, you just have to apologize. It's super simple. I think people are intimidated by it a lot. And I think that's where a lot of the reactions come from. I definitely think that's where Gina Carano's reaction came from is that, is that it's intimidating. It's a scary thing when you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, because people come down on you, but you would be amazed how far a simple, sorry, and then doing better mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. That's really the key to it. Like that's the solution. And, and, and most people are going to have the, uh, the empathy and the compassion to, to give you that, that leeway to make that mistake as long as you are dedicated to doing better the next time. So I, uh, Kyle, did you want to add anything to that or? No, I think that was all well said. And, um, don't really have much to add other than what uh, what you laid out. Yeah, it's just I know I know we've talked about this on almost every episode this season, but but as I've said, it's it, this is tied intrinsically with it, and and definitely over over the last year, certainly since since we've been podcasting about Star Wars on on FMI in uh, in twenty twenty, uh, these conversations have been a big part of it as we've uh, worked really hard to. Um, broaden the scope of the of the type of voices 
that we bring on the show, right? So that it's not just Matt and I, <laughs> uh, a couple of white guys <laughs> who've been fans since uh, forever, right? Like original trilogy fans. Like yeah. we have a very specific perspective. Um, and that's not, there's nothing wrong with that perspective. But I mean, like throw a rock and you'll hit a, a white cisgendered, hetero male star wars podcaster it's it's really not that hard um it's it, it, the majority of us right so just lending lending this platform to those other voices has been a really great opportunity to learn more about how other people interact with this fandom and with with star wars in general yeah um and so it's just it's just important that we keep having these conversations and that certainly we support the fans uh, that are sort of on the margins of of the community and make them feel as welcome as possible, um, and that's just that's just something that's important to me. It's important to Thunderquack. So, uh, so we've been talking about it a lot, and then the fundraiser is just this constant thing of like, hey, let's keep going. It, if it if it had plateaued at some point and stopped, maybe everybody would have kind of you know like went, well, we did we did our best, we got it to a certain level or whatever, and walked away. But but the fact that it just keeps going, uh, I'm going to keep talking about it as long as it has momentum. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, go go donate to that uh, and uh, and just 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 work hard on being a better person every day. Yeah, that should be the motto um, I think of that's what. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That has been a motto of 2020. And I think that it is very much in line with the ideology of star Wars, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's Vader did a lot of evil stuff. He still had the ability to come back and, and be redeemed. Right. There you go. So that is, is baked right in there. Um, let's get into it. Let's, let's, let's get into, into this episode of the Mandalorian chapter 13, the Jedi directed and written by Dave Filoni. Uh, of course, I mean, it, as if it even needs to be said, uh, here, let me, let me start. Um, I'm going to jump us right in. On the planet of Corvus, Magistrate Morgan Elsbeth and her hired enforcer, Lang, watch from the walls of Caladan as blaster fire flashes among the tree barren trees outside the city. Armed guards retreat through the forest toward the walls, pursued by the Jedi, Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka strikes quickly, cutting down one guard after another with her blazing white lightsabers, then deactivating her weapons and disappearing into the mist. Once all the guards are defeated, Tano reveals herself before the magistrate and demands information, but Elsbeth refuses and threatens to punish the people of the city for Ahsoka's actions. Knowing that the people are already suffering under the magistrate's rule, Tano gives her one day to surrender, then disappears back into the forest. I So, okay, here, here's, here's one of the things. You're on the episode this week. So I'll just take a really quick moment to uh, recognize you and thank you for writing some of the recaps. You and I have been kind of trading off a little bit mm-hmm. um, and and writing these recaps this season. Uh, because we've been writing these recaps this season, uh, and, and obviously like we will for the next three episodes as well, I'm planning on taking these recaps and putting them into like I, I like some sort of a format that people can can download and i think what i'll do is i'll set that up with a like a like a, a pay what you want sort of model and if somebody wants to 
uh, uh, basically buy buy a little companion to the season with these recaps. And what I'll also do is I'll put my illustrations that I've been doing over on my Instagram because um, I've done one for every episode. I've done at least one for every episode. I've actually mm-hmm. done multiples for some of them. But uh, I'll put the illustrations in with the with the text and uh, and format it all nice and everything. And in the new year, we'll uh, we'll put that up as a way that you guys can support the podcast. Oh, nice. But uh, but but thank you, Kyle, for for writing this recap tonight. The funny thing is that you and I, I think, actually have a very similar style to the way that we write these because we both use like like the very uh the very sort of grandiose language and it's funny because we both we both went to film school we both have done like screenwriting and stuff like that so it's very much the the like 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 the way that you describe her blazing white lightsabers i was like Nice. That's what I would have written. And, too. and like, for, and so for this episode, I couldn't not like I'll yeah, be honest, the to. first one I wrote for this season was uh, the passenger, which like I liked that episode, but it wasn't my favorite. And I kind of wanted yeah. to just like get through the recap as I was writing that I kind of shortened some stuff that I might otherwise elaborate on. But with this, like with yeah. Ahsoka coming back and everything, I was like, oh, man, give me the recap for this one. Yeah. Yeah, got to go all the way. Yeah. For sure. um, by the way, I'll give one little disclaimer. I know, and we can kind of get into this as far as uh, where Ahsoka's at. And obviously, we know she left the Jedi Order and, and Rebels, you know, clearly says, like, I'm no Jedi. For the purpose yeah. of the recap, I described her as a Jedi because everybody in the episode refers to her as a Jedi. Yeah. And so I was trying not to get into semantics with the recap. But, you know, we can debate that within the story if we want. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a complicated uh, uh, dynamic of like, you know, she's got that line. I'm no Jedi. But then at the same time, there was a bit of an attitude in in the Clone Wars and in the, in the finale of that of like maybe she was going to come back to the Jedi Order at mm-hmm. some point. So it's it, and and then on top of that, there's the ideology that I think a lot of us have had even since b- before season seven of Clone Wars of. Ahsoka walking away from the Jedi Order when she does actually proves that she understands the Jedi path better than I think even a lot of the council members did. Yeah, definitely. Um, it 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 showed a lot of wisdom even at that time when season five ended when when we got that ending, um, and we thought that that was for a minute we thought that was the end of the series, right? And and it was very much I I hate I you know like like she's doing the right thing she's actually doing what anakin couldn't right he couldn't walk away from the jedi order even in the face of the of the order making a lot of very bad decisions um so maybe in some ways she's more of a jedi than than anybody else we know right like yeah like she's a precursor to um to Luke uh, and, and very much in the footsteps of someone like Qui-Gon Jinn, mm-hmm. right. Who, who I think, I think if Qui-Gon had survived, he definitely would have turned his back on, on the Jedi order at some point. Uh, Tim and I talked about that actually. Um, this idea that, that Qui-Gon would look at it and go, this isn't what we, this isn't what we're supposed to be. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether he would join Dooku or not, that's up for debate. But, but I do think that, that it's, that, that that's very much there. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think even, I mean, you mentioned the fact that in season seven, it kind of hints that Ahsoka might go back to the order, but like, I think regardless of whether she does or not, there's also that message that's kind of portrayed in the, uh, the arc with the Martez sisters, where she's basically telling her like, 
your actions are those of a Jedi or what a Jedi should be like, regardless of whether you're part of the order or not. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's murky. Right. And a lot of people want to use that term gray Jedi. And I don't, I hate, I hate the concept of gray Jedi. As a matter of fact, I, I, it, it comes from the, the legends EU. And uh, I think it comes from Vergeer, right? Uh, or it comes, it's like from that time period of like new Jedi order, like post new Jedi order stuff. Mm. Um, and it was very much like Jason Solo's path. Was he was like, oh, I'm going to be a gray Jedi. I'm going to walk the line between the light side and the dark side. And there's even some stories of Luke sort of dabbling with it. But he very quickly, it's in the Joiner trilogy, which I know a lot of people hate those books. But I I actually really like them. Um, and there's a moment where Luke uses the dark side in order to save everybody. And it it affects him. The dark side, like, like uh, uh, eats away at him in the same way that it does to Palpatine in revenge of the Sith. Right. Mm. Like it, it instantly starts to age him and he realizes like, no, like there's a cost to this and there's a reason for that. There, like the, it's the, this is not natural. The dark side isn't natural. The light side is, is harmony and, and all of these things, but like the dark side exists, but the dark side it's it's not something that we should tap into sort of thing so when people go like oh gray jedi like they should be gray jedi it's like no if you've actually if you've actually explored the concept of gray jedi it leads jason down the path to the dark side yeah because it's a temptation and and when you when you dip your toe in it becomes almost impossible like yoda says once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny and when he says it it's very much a thing of like vader can't come back right Mm -hmm. but i think even if you remove that idea even even when vader does return from the dark side and becomes anakin skywalker again uh it still dominates his destiny it's that choice still determines the outcome um and there's no escaping it once it, once you've done it, once you've, once you've dabbled, it's you're it's, it's always going to be there. Uh, it doesn't have to define who you are, but it, it will sort of dominate. Right. Yeah. Like it, um, it leaves a lasting impact. But I think the other thing yeah. too, I mean, like you're saying the, the whole concept of gray Jedi is someone who like walks that line between the light and the dark side. And even if it is possible to maintain that balance without fully tipping towards one or the other. Like that's not really what they're getting at here anyways. Like Ahsoka yeah. is someone who for the most part is still fully devoted to the light side. Um, although we do see her doing some pretty brutal lightsaber takedowns here, but um, like, I don't think any of us would argue that like, she's not towing the line between the light side and the dark side. She's operating on the light side, just outside of the confines of the Jedi order as we know it. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, th- there's a, there's a, it's sort of I the 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 idea of pacifism and nonviolence as a path versus I uh, I uh, justice, right? Mm-hmm. Which, like, there the and and this is a very samurai centric episode, and these are very samurai ideals. Yeah, of like, you don't unsheath your sword unless you intend to do harm with it unless you intend to kill right and i and i think very much that that's the the 
the the message here is like we know that the samurai are are often uh, protectors and and heroes, but there is an element of like in order to do that job, they have to do something bad, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it is the it is the question of of you know do you do you fight a just war or do you let it consume you? Uh, like destroy you uh, in order to adhere to, a, to an ideal of pacifism. And I think that people equate violence with evil. And I think that that's a, it's up for debate. This is a philosophy question more than anything. But I think when we look at what Ahsoka is doing here, I uh, clearly Elsbeth is evil, mm-hmm. a bad guy. Um, and the people working for her are also bad guys. And as much as I'm sure they deserve mercy, I don't recall any of them asking for it. No, no, there is the one, there, there's like, the one yeah. guy that, that runs away and she doesn't pursue. Yeah, right. Yeah, so exactly. no, and I, I didn't think that she was being, you know, evil or, or tipping towards the dark side by taking all these guys out. Yeah. I will say though, it, it was a little jarring for me having, you know, coming off of like we last saw her in clone Wars season seven where she's adamantly refusing to kill the clones now obviously she has a personal relationship with those guys but then like before that we saw her in rebels and that show was just typically a little more like kid friendly and non-violent um and obviously she had you know the intense lightsaber duel with vader and everything but we never saw ahsoka just like cutting down stormtroopers or anything and so this like right off the bat this was just a little bit jarring but then i thought about it i'm like oh well i guess this is the same ahsoka that you know also like did the quadruple decapitation on the death watch troopers and all that bingo Um, (laughs) bingo yeah but she's just right off the bat though seeing her like i don't know you know what you were sort of expecting coming into this episode but like I'm thinking like maybe we're going to see her at the very end or maybe we're like I, I eventually I did think we were going to see her in action because yeah. we knew that like Moff Gideon was after them. And so I thought we we're going to see her fighting like those dark troopers or whatever he had at the end of that last episode. Um, but I I certainly was not expecting to see those lightsabers on screen like 30 seconds into the episode. I was just losing my mind. I wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah, I I didn't expect them to go quite this hard, quite this fast, but um but I but at the same time like there were kind of two things that they could have done. Either she was going to be uh Luke Skywalker standing on the top of a hill at the end silently or we were going to come in and she was going to be a, a focal point of the episode. Um with the title being the Jedi it became very clear, very fast of like, Oh no, we're going to focus on Ahsoka a lot. Oh yeah. Um, and and then, we had a lot of stuff to do in one episode. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I expected her to be the focal point of the story. I just didn't expect her to expect to see her in action this quickly. Yeah. Um, no, it was nice. It was definitely refreshing to, to just jump right in and, and, and see that and kind of get it out of the way so that then we could focus on story, mm-hmm. uh, instead of going like, when is she going to use her lightsabers? It's like, well, she already did. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we see her again, she does again, right. With, with Mando. So yeah, I don't, I think it was a really good, a really good choice. I think the episode's very well written, but I do think there, it's, it, there are some weird points. There are some, there are some odd uh, choices in here, but um, but we are also not privy to the entire story, and that's how Dave likes to do things. Yeah. So, uh, as as much as as um, within the context of the Mandalorian story, it's we kind of just get what we need. Um, uh, it, it would be nice to get a little bit more uh, explanation as to why Ahsoka is 
who she is, where she's at, what she's doing. Right. Mm -hmm. But we can kind of fill in those gaps. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Let's, let's continue with the recap here. Okay. Uh, The razor crest emerges from hyperspace and Din Djarin orders the child to take his seat in preparation for landing. The child complies, but uses the force to remove his favorite control knob from its shaft as the ship as the ship heads for Corvus. The crest touches down in a forest clearing, and as Mando as Mando and the child disembark, Din confiscates the control knob and tucks it into his belt, saying it needs to stay on the ship. He scoops up the child and heads for Caladan, hoping to find a lead on the Jedi thereafter. I uh, just some this is just cute you know dadalorian moments uh <laughs> really uh and just kind of showing the the relationship between the two of them of the you know go get in your seat and and the, 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 just cute moments um but we are setting something up here with the with the knob with the ball right yeah yeah there's a payoff for that later i uh, i'll continue here uh, actually what before i do that it, i if you if you want more on on the ball and its potential significance um, and and sort of the the symbolic meaning of it. Uh, check out the latest episode of Sky Talkers because they get into it and the the correlations to uh, to Lone Wolf and Cub and uh, and I think that there's a really cool connection to draw there. So I won't, we don't I don't want to rehash what they I I went into and they they know Lone Wolf and Cub better than I do. So uh, go go check out. I, I sky talkers listen to that because um, it's a great podcast they they do a really good job of breaking this stuff down i when din reaches the gates of kaladin lang identifies him as a bounty hunter and lets him inside din walks the streets of the rundown city where the people live in fear under the watch of armed guards anyone he questions refuses to speak to him until two guards approach and tell him that the magistrate requests an audience Din follows the guards through the city's inner gate, where Elspeth lives in much better conditions than the rest of the city. She meets the Mandalorian on a bridge and offers him a spear made of pure Beskar if he'll agree to kill the Jedi who's who's been plaguing her. Jaren asks where he can find the Jedi, and Lang leads him back outside the city walls, noting that he never agrees to kill the Jedi. Uh He just inquires as to her location. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but gosh, this was such a cool scene too. When uh, you know she just hands him the spear and says, "What do you make of this?" And like he taps it against his armor, and it just yeah, makes like it, that ringing like chime yeah. sound. And I love the whole vibe of this episode. Obviously, very like uh, Asian, like samurai inspired. Yeah. You know, Kurosawa and all those films that influenced uh, George Lucas. But um, yeah, I just I love the look of it. And uh, but in particular, like once he goes inside her little sanctum or whatever um where it's obviously much nicer than the rest of the city and she's got that bridge going over the water and it's just like going from this like grimy rundown city to this area where it's very peaceful and serene and you know just the the sound that that beskar makes um it's just a very made for a very like unique um just feeling and and look from uh what we've seen before in the series yeah um yeah it was just, just very cinematic i mean like you said both of us having like film school backgrounds like it it felt like you were watching a film, not just in terms of the story and the length of it and all that, but um, I don't know, just, you could tell that, that uh, Dave had a lot of like classic film influences going into this. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of environmental storytelling in this, in this part. And I, I talk about this a lot when we're talking about the Mandalorian that um, they, they tell a lot of the story 
not necessarily the dialogue or what happens, but just sort of the surroundings. And, and it's a, a lot of it is about the subtext and what's not said. And, and the moment that we enter the sort of the inner sanctum of, of uh, Elsbeth's compound and, and the sky is clearer and there's, there are plants and vegetation and she's got the, the koi, the black koi in the pond. Um, that she's feeding Wait, there's a lot of symbolism there. Go, go listen to uh, what the force uh, for, for deeper symbolism on that one. But I, uh, yeah, like there's, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on visually in this episode that I think I, I helps us sort of subconsciously digest a lot of the story and understand it. Um, one thing that I'll throw out that, that I haven't heard anybody else talk about um the 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 planet has been decimated right mm. like it's it looks like a forest fire um did you think of the defoliator when you were watching this episode i did from, from the Clone not Wars? i did not because um i mean we'll get to this later but ahsoka mentions that elsbeth is like this industrialist or, you know, she's built yeah. like machines and factories and stuff and helped sort of fuel the Imperial, the Imperial war machine. And so I just assumed this was, you know, just her, like, the result of that. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's strip mined the place or done stuff that's bad for the environment or whatever. I didn't think yeah. it was the result of like an intentional weapon or something like that, but just basically that she's, you know, stripped the planet bare of resources. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, the, just the visuals of it really made me think of, of the defoliator or, or a weapon similar to it, um, having been used here. And then, and then, you know, uh, we get mentions of the clone wars. I, I, and so I, I don't know. I just sort of thought maybe that's one of the things. Cause, cause I think, I think what I, like, I was kind of thinking along the lines of like the, it's the, it's a forest uh, forest planet right and and maybe it's like the forest isn't what they wanted if it were then it would be clear-cut it wouldn't be ravaged by forest fires right yeah um so it's like clearly there's something else on this planet that they wanted the other thing that i thought of in terms of the defoliator was i uh, i uh, white rose says about like they forced us like they they forced us into camps and they made us build their weapons and then they tested them on us Hmm. right and that was kind of what i was thinking was like was was uh thrawn potentially pull we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves but thrawn pulling some projects out of mothballs i because we know that he was kind of leading special projects for the empire Mm -hmm. and uh and the defoliator could have been one of them Right. And that and that that's one of the things that they were doing on this planet was testing, building defoliators and then testing them um, on this planet, because what better place to test it than a forest planet. Right. Um, And so they've just they've they've just completely ruined the ecosystem because they've been testing these weapons on this environment. Um, and, uh, and, and that's why we see like the only creatures that are really alive are these gigantic, uh, monsters that can just eat the trees whole, um, because everything else has either been burnt up or died off because there's nothing, nothing left to eat. Yeah. Which um, I also thought was a cool touch. Those creatures that we see in the background, yeah. um, especially knowing that Dave wrote and directed this episode, because this is like a vague memory. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was either in the Ahsoka novel 
or maybe just like at a celebration when Dave was talking about like his original ideas for the ending of the Clone Wars. But I remember something about like Ahsoka and Rex like fleeing from the other clone troopers and they go into the forest. But then it turns out that what they think are trees are like the legs of these giant creatures that live in the forest and they like escape on those or something like that. Yeah, they they were going to be the wolves and then and then those wolves evolved into the Loth wolves which which is a very different concept. They they weren't nearly as big. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, no, I I thought the exact same thing. That was during celebration in 2015 uh during the the Clone Wars panel that they did. Okay. Where he talked about the the untold stories of the Clone Wars. Um yeah, and we saw concept art and everything of the of Ahsoka and Rex riding on the backs of these giant wolves. Um, yeah, I, I I instantly thought of that too. As a matter of fact, before we kind of got a better look at them later in the episode, when we first saw it, um, I thought like maybe maybe that's what that is. Maybe maybe this is going to come into the episode, but uh, but then we see them later, and uh, and it's and they're more of like a dinosaur. Uh, um, uh, uh, oh man, what are the things that that Quill? Oh, the had? blurgs, the blurgs. Yeah, they're kind of they they're yeah. kind of like big <laughs> blurgs. giant four legged blurgs. Yeah, yeah, they kind of have that same that same silhouette. Yeah. Um, just cool Star Wars. I mean, like really, honestly, just cool Star Wars. It really doesn't matter the details of them. It was just like it was just this great again environmental thing. Yeah, definitely. Of like the only things that are left on this planet are these creatures that are able to, to exist in this harsh environment. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, where are we? Where are we at? Um, at? I think I got the next part. Uh, Din heads out into the forest, unsure of what to expect when he meets the Jedi. He sets the child down on a log safely out of harm's way and is soon ambushed by Ahsoka leaping down from the trees. She attacks him with her lightsabers, but they don't penetrate the Mandalorian's Beskar armor. After a brief skirmish, Din calls out Ahsoka's name and tells her he was sent by Bo-Katan Kryze and that they need to talk. Tano stands down upon hearing Bo-Katan's name and the child catches her attention. Uh, so it's official in canon, pure Beskar can stop a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> This is fantastic. This is so good because throughout Star Wars, there have always there's always been this issue of like a lightsaber cuts through anything and then george obviously solved this problem in revenge of the sith with the electro staff but then it was like then then we were constantly seeing electrified weapons that stop lightsabers but this canonizes a concept that is originally i think in the books and it's definitely in a comic book called star wars jedi council where they introduce a, a an ore called cortosis mm-hmm. that is able to stop a lightsaber cortosis is a little bit different though pure cortosis will short a lightsaber blade out it'll shut right, it off because it has some kind of like electromagnetic property it's not just like yeah. the strength of the um, itself yeah but but this also goes back into the old republic knights of the old republic where you've got the vibroblades um that are able to fight against a lightsaber yeah um which is kind of ironic because the whole reason we have the dark saber and the reason yeah. that 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 saber is shaped like a sword blade and not like a traditional lightsaber blade is because i believe that was originally going to be a vibro sword 
that Pre Vizsla was mm. going to have in Clone Wars, and George didn't like the idea of a sword being able to stop a lightsaber, so they changed it to a lightsaber instead, kind of at the last minute. And now here yeah. we are with Mandalorians ending up having some kind of metal that stops lightsabers after all. But, um, I mean, we've seen that, you know, this thing takes so many blaster hits and, and you know, yeah. reflect them. Like, it makes sense that it would be able to stop a lightsaber, too. It's basically just a, a blaster bolt that stays in one place. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's the, it's the purity of the Beskar that, that pulls it off. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, like when we look at, when we look at Din's original armor, that was very trashed. It wasn't pure Beskar. Right. right? And I don't know if it was ever even established that that was Beskar at all. I don't think it was. And, 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 and similarly, I don't think that Boba, Boba's armor is Beskar. Well, we do see though in, in the, the Marshall, I think they make a point yeah. of showing like he takes a blaster bolt square off the chest when when Cobb Vanth goes back into that bar after he gets the armor and he goes to clear out like the that's slavers. true. He shoots a couple of guys and one of them shoots him and he takes it right off the chest and keeps going. So that's a good point. So maybe it is. Maybe it is. But, but maybe it's not pure Beskar. It might that's not be pure. Yeah. But it, like I, th- I think that there's a really important um thematic element here of it being pure Beskar mm-hmm. that can stop a lightsaber that 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 is this symbol of of the Mandalorian warrior um and obviously this the second that you see this happen you immediately think back to that spear and then you connect the dots of well clearly that's what Mando's going to need in order to fight the dark saber mm-hmm. like that's that's what we're setting up here is the the the, the as a, 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 to borrow a a, a term from from what the force uh the Chekhov spear that we're setting up here um like Chekhov's gun but i i yeah so it, at that moment when i was watching i was like so mando is leaving with that i mean as if there was ever any doubt that he was leaving with that spear um but it was like oh he needs it now like that's an important weapon for him um which is very cool i just love i love how video gamey this series is oh of it like, totally is Go out, do it's a quest, so, come back, get an upgraded piece of yeah. armor, or get a new spear, or whatever it is. But yeah, it's so much like like uh, like Jedi Fallen Order, yeah, <laughs> where yeah. it's like, oh, now that you've got that, when you go back to this other place, you've got the jetpack. Now you can go back and take out the Imperial outpost. Yeah, exactly. right. <laughs> like you couldn't get in before because the door was locked. <laughs> but now that you have a jetpack, you can just jetpack up there. Yeah. Um. It, it's the the whole thing just plays out in such a great quest fashion. But I, I never feeling, um, never feeling juvenile or trivial in that way, but always feeling like very earned. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is just very like it's very mythic in that way of like, and then he will earn the spear, and the spear will be the thing that he uses to fight Gideon. So it's very cool. Um, yeah, and this was just a really cool little confrontation here. I mean, obviously we know he's not trying to kill Ahsoka, or you know, this is yeah. like a big epic fight, but just i mean that first visual of him holding up his gauntlets and and the lightsabers just clashing against him and not going through um was just crazy and like you said it was it was so shocking but then instantly made so much sense um but then there's a shot you know he kind of breaks out of that and shoots his flamethrower at her and she does this whole like flourish where she like does a flip and throws her cloak off and spins her lightsabers all at the same time and it's just such a cool shot um yeah so even just as brief as this exchange was just seeing a, uh, a Jedi with lightsabers go up against a fully armored Mandalorian in live action. I mean, that's something we haven't even really seen before uh, in live action, unless you want to count, you know, Luke's brief encounter with Boba Fett. But um, 
Well, Obi-Wan and Django, but Oh, that's true. That's true. I was forgetting about that one. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but Django's not a real Mandalorian, so yeah, apparently not. So Yeah. I I'll continue here. Uh, Ahsoka and the child sit together in silence for a long while as night falls over the forest. Din asks if they're communicating, and Ahsoka tells him that she and the child can sense each other's thoughts. She reveals that the child's name is Grogu, and that he was raised in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. When the Jedi Order fell and the Empire rose to power, someone took Grogu from the Temple, but his memory of the events after that is dark and clouded. Uh, Din tells her uh, of Grogu's mysterious abilities, and Ahsoka explains that these powers come from the mystical energy field known as the Force. So we get a lot of information downloaded here, mm-hmm. a lot of things confirmed, uh, and new information brought to light. I, I First and foremost, uh, Grogu. How do you feel about the name? I, I love it. I How love do you it feel? too. I love it too. I, for whatever reason, it... I know some people have said, oh, it's going to take me a while to get used to that, or he's still baby yeah. to me or whatever. For some reason, it just instantly clicked for me. I'm like, Grogu. Uh, it's George. It's George. It's George rearranged. It's the Star Wars version of the name George, and uh, that's I, I. That's what I believe until I'm told otherwise. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I think that we'll probably get it in the in the Disney gallery. Uh, we'll we'll get some some I uh, I uh, of the thought process, the insight behind this, but uh, more importantly than the name as, as, as wonderful as it is. And, and I'm so glad that we now have it. We don't have to call him the child or baby Yoda anymore. We can call him Grogu. We will still call him both of those things, but we, we can call him by his actual name. Yeah, I'll tell you for uh, writing the recaps, it's really nice to just not have to write the yeah. child, the child, the child, yeah. the child over and over again. For sure. Yeah. Um, this revelation that he was raised in the Jedi temple uh, and that that he he has spent some time um, training in Jedi arts, uh, uh, which is why he's able to use some of his abilities. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just I uh, I uh, this this made me very happy. It also alludes to a story that we have not yet been told. Uh, that is very exciting. Who do you think took him from the temple? I have no idea, but I have an outlandish theory that I'm not okay. necessarily predicting or saying, like, this is my theory. I just think it would be cool, and I haven't really heard anybody else mention this. Because people are saying, you know, it could be – I mean, it could be any number of Jedi that we maybe don't know yet survived the Purge. Um, yeah. Or people saying, like, oh, maybe Anakin spared one, and he still had a little bit of the light side left in him or something like that. I'm like, what if – because again, tying it into the last episode, and you know, there's all these theories about oh, is Gideon working on like the the cloning experiments that are going to lead to Palpatine and Snoke and all that kind of stuff that we see in Rise of Skywalker? Like, what if Palpatine already had this particular child singled out mm-hmm. for use in his future experiments and stuff like that? And so, yeah. what if? I mean, it would be crazy if like Palpatine told Anakin go over to the temple and kill all the jedi and then he ran over there himself and snuck in and like stole grogu but maybe it was some agent of the empire i actually thought too i was talking to somebody about this the other day and i said what if it was the grand inquisitor because we know he was a jedi temple guard so he could have and and this could be while he was still a jedi and maybe he's the one that got the child out or it could you know he could have could have already been working for palpatine at some point so um oh i love that I love that. I love that. I love the idea that he was not turned yet. Yeah. 
right? That 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 he wasn't because because there's a there's a question mark there of like when did the inquisitor the grand inquisitor turn? Was it before the fall of the Republic or was it after? Did he survive the purge somehow? Did he survive the attack on the Jedi Temple? And how great would it be to connect these dots that when he was still a Jedi, when he was still one of the Temple Guards, that he rescued Grogu, but that they were both captured because... And like that that was was his mistake. If he had just gone on his own he probably would have been able to evade Palpatine. Mm -hmm. But because he had Grogu and because Palpatine knew of Grogu and wanted him for these experiments, uh, that he was then hunted uh, and, and, and then eventually became the inquisitor. And I mean, like what a thought to, to connect these dots and say, maybe at a time, Grogu was on the Inquisitor Fortress on that planet that's orbiting uh, uh, Mustafar. Yeah, he also could have been in Mustafar in that facility, right? Because we see that in uh, in um, the uh, uh, Children of the Force. Is that the yeah? I think that's the episode. Yeah, in Clone Wars. Um, from season two of Clone Wars, right? Like, I there are so there are so many places where we could go with this, and then and then to think that when Cal Kestis destroys the Inquisitor's headquarters, uh, this is spoilers for Fallen Order, but you've had a year to play it um, or watch YouTube videos of it if you don't play games. Uh, but it, when he does that and when, when Vader trashes that place, to think that maybe at that point, uh, the Empire lost Grogu for a bit, Ooh. right? Like like for whatever, however that happened. Um, and, 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 and so that's how he somehow over the course of the original trilogy ends up in the hands of those. Who was he with? Was he with a bunch of weak way? I don't remember. I think but... they were Nikto. Nikto. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, like, like there, there are so many of these dots to connect. There's so much of this. I really hope that the novelization that's coming does some of this. Oh, I really true. hope that. I really hope that it is two stories that we switch back and forth between where we're getting Din being trained uh, as a Mandalorian by, by the watch. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're also getting the, the, some of the dots filled in with, uh, with, with Grogu and where he was at this point in time. Uh, There's just, uh, I think that would be a really great novel. I think that's a great concept for it to jump back and forth between those two things. I'll be honest. I completely um, forgot about that novel. Do you know when that's coming out? I do I, next year at some point, okay. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's sort of in the, in the near distant future. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but, I had uh, totally forgotten about that. And I remember hearing about it when it was first announced because it's like, it's supposed to be an original story, yeah. right. That's tied in. And after season one, yeah. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I'll probably still read it just because I enjoy The Mandalorian. But yeah, now that we've gotten all this stuff in season two and there's so much stuff that we have questions about and need backstory on, um, that could be, you know, a chance to give us uh, some really interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good opportunity for them to jump into, and I think it's the perfect format for it. Uh Cool. Where are we? Where are we? We are. Uh, oh, it's, this is you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, one thing I wanted to talk about too, just because we haven't really talked about this yet, um, but as Ahsoka is sitting here, you know, explaining the Force and everything, what did you think of just the like her performance and the, you know, her translation to live action? 
Yeah, I think um, I think it's good. I think there are some gaps in Ahsoka's story that make it difficult to see this um, connected to to Ahsoka's existing story and and to Ashley Eckstein's performance. I I am of the camp that I that that I prefer Ashley's performance of this character, probably just because we're so familiar with it. Um, I think that for what they wanted to do, that they nailed it, that they did a very, very good job. And I do think that Rosario Dawson did a good job of capturing the character, but she is in a very different place in her journey. And we don't really have the full story there. Right. I kind of mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's for me, it's really hard to judge it without knowing sort of like the broader scope of things. It's such a slice of, of where that character is at. Um, that that it's hard to contextualize it for me, because it's very much like she she behaves differently than we expect Ahsoka to behave. Her mannerisms are slightly different, but at the same time, she is older. She's been through some stuff. The last time that we saw her chronologically, she was being pulled out of the world between worlds. I mm-hmm. uh, like like like, or I mean, being left because what happens there? She's she stays in the world between worlds, right? And Ezra goes back. Um, and she goes off to wherever she goes and we don't really know what happens there. We don't. So well, I think we don't know how much time passes. Doesn't she go Sorry. back to the temple on Malachor? Cause that's when we see her like walking down the steps at the end of yes. Twilight of the Apprentice. She does, she does go back to the temple on Malachor, but does she go back? When does she go back to the temple right. on Malachor? Right. How much time has actually passed? We don't like the, these are unanswerable questions with the information that we currently have. So, because there are so many question marks, there are so many of these sort of uh, things in the air. It's hard to it's hard to fully judge it. At the same time, there's also the real world component of of the transphobic allegations and that stuff. Where I mean, like I think that the the Vanity Fair article uh, was very satisfying for me to have that addressed directly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's written, so it's a, still a little bit hard because it's it's very prepared. But um, but I do trust Anthony Bresnikin to have asked the question and and given us um, uh, an honest look at at the way that that she responded. I do also think that Rosario Dawson can only say so much because it is an ongoing legal issue. So her response is very measured, but it's very measured for that reason. And there's really not any getting away from that. She can't talk about the stuff that's ongoing. So that's those are still very big question marks that that are like the two charges that are still there, even though the rest of the charges were uh, voluntarily withdrawn by by the accuser. So it's a it's a it's a complicated issue. Um, And I'll say what I've said before, which is just that I think that that we need to listen to to victims uh, and when they when they have a story to tell we have to we have to listen to the story that they have to tell but with this specific instance there's a lot of there's a lot of very confusing elements to it um and and one of the biggest things is that is that a lot of people have vouched for rosario dawson even when this first happened and said this doesn't this doesn't match with the person that we know um, and that's specifically the transphobic comments, which have all like all of the 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 um, the those those allegations of of, of uh, the transphobic abuse have been withdrawn. Mm-hmm. So 
her response to that is is essentially i'll paraphrase a little bit but she's essentially saying you know like that stuff's been withdrawn and i think that that sort of speaks for itself um and then she goes on to talk about the fact that she has always been an advocate she has always been uh very outspoken about her position and 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 she basically says uh, uh in no uncertain terms that she supports trans rights like so it it like like that amongst everything else that she stands for that is that is a that is among the many things that she thinks are important issues so um to me it's like that's it's very satisfying to have her directly address it especially in light of gina carano not directly addressing it Mm -hmm. so it's like i think it's really easy for us to look at these two things and look at them as as the same but the reality is that they are not the same they're they're these are very different issues you have one person who has been um who's been accused of something and and uh you know like like we have to see how that plays out in court um but again listen to the accuser right we have to we have to listen they have to have their opportunity to to say their piece um and then you have another instance of what Gina Carano did, did, she did in broad daylight in front of everybody for the world to see the evidence is there, right? Like we, we witnessed it. So like, that's a very different thing of like, well, let's, we have to, we have to innocent until proven guilty. We have to wait and see what's happening with this, uh, with this issue with Rosario Dawson versus Gina Carano did this stuff. We all saw it and she has not apologized. Uh Right. Um, and she has not made a statement. She has not come out and said, I support, you know, uh, trans lives and like that sort of stuff. Like it, so these are two very, very different things. And I, and I worry that people conflate them a little bit. Um, but I, I, sorry, Crystal is trying to find me the, the art of Mandalorian book. And she's, she's showing me the Mandalorian art and imagery, uh, volume one, which oh, is, gotcha. which is the other one. Yeah, right. I, uh, I'm just texting her. That's not the right book. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, so it, it's, it, this is all really complicated and it definitely affects my viewing of the episode. Um, but, but I will say that I want to love this. Um, but, but that does, that does, it, it, it can't not affect it in the same way that last week's episode, I can't watch Gina Carano and not think of it as much as like, again, I want to love that character. I, cause I really do. Like I love the character Cara Dune as she's written. I just wish that the performer wasn't tied up in all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it it's tough, um, but if we separate it, I think that they did a really good job. I think the the head tails need to be longer. I think that they should have done digital extensions on them. See, and that's um, what, that's what I've been thinking too. But I feel like they probably just didn't have the budget for that with the scale that that they're working with for TV. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, if this was in a movie and they had a two hundred million dollar budget, they definitely would have had like a full length headpiece to use for close-ups and stuff and then for like action shots where it's moving a lot they would have just had like stubs and then extended them digitally but um, yeah i uh, there we go she found it <laughs> oh, nice. but yeah so i i mean that was i i kind of thought the same thing like 
I was a little bit taken aback at first that they were so short. It definitely, like she, it almost looked like a closer uh, translation of her look from Clone Wars and specifically season seven than it did from yeah. where we last saw her in Rebels. Um, yeah, but I think it worked. I mean, and really, I mean, the head he, head tails aside, I thought the makeup job was perfect. Like, if we hadn't heard the previous casting rumors and stuff that Rosario Dawson was going to be in this, I would have had no idea who the actress was. Because I think she really just disappeared into the role with the makeup and the contact yeah. and the costume and all that stuff. So I thought, for the most part, you know, again, with the... I mean, I, I thought, A, the head tail should have been longer, but I also thought in certain shots they looked a little stiff. Um, and it looked like a really good cosplay as opposed to, like, a professional, yeah. you know, something that you'd see... You know, it wasn't quite, like, feature film quality, but... Um, that was kind. Of, that was kind of my read of it as well. Is that there, there were certain elements of it that I feel like like didn't quite. It's so. Here's the thing. A lot of people are like, "Oh, maybe she's getting her spinoff series, right?" Oh, it's now that we've got her confirmed, it's like, "Oh, she's getting a spinoff series." No, she's not. If she were getting a spinoff series, those head tails would have been perfect. They would have been absolutely perfect because they would have been an investment in an ongoing production they're not this may be the only time we ever get to see ahsoka in live action i'm fine with that i have no problem with that um i like the idea that these characters cross paths their stories intersect for a moment in time and then that's it the and and the next time we see ahsoka will be in animated form again um uh that it is my hope first and foremost, but it is also my instinct that they, they wouldn't have um, those, those issues would not have been as apparent if they were going to, if, if, if they were planning to do something else with this actor and this character. Yeah. Um, that said, I mean, like I do, I think they did a fantastic job. I, her costume is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it is, my favorite look for Ahsoka. This is this is my favorite costume of hers, um, by a long shot. In fact, I, I and and I hope that it informs when, the next time that we see her. Um, I love the sort of like the kendo aspect of the pants. Um, I love the the very like ninja samurai components of it. Yeah, because um, it just works so perfectly with her with her lightsabers with her with her white blade lightsabers, the katana sabers. Um. Yeah, I I think I think it was perfect, and I loved the cloak, the way, like the just the shapes of it, the silhouette, all of it. I I just I think they nailed the aesthetic. Um, and but if we're gonna nitpick, the the head tails were too short, and like that's to me, it's like if if I think I said this last week or or maybe the week before, it's that George quote of uh, from from Attack of the Clones where they flip the shot and Obi-Wan is meant to be exiting onto the platform. But if you look at the geometry of it, like uh, not geometry, the geography, I guess geometry also applies, but the geography of Kamino he's heading back into the city, not out to the platform. It doesn't make sense. Right. But for the cut, it makes sense because of the directions right so it so it it should read fine and george's response of like if this is what people notice then we have bigger problems yeah right and to me it's i think the fact that people i think the fact that people focused on this part of it is an indicator that that there was a component missing to this portrayal of ahsoka 
it's there. I just don't think it's there enough. Um, and that's Ahsoka's softness. I, I think that, that from the very beginning, Ahsoka was a very compassionate, very soft character. Um, and it's like her compassion is, is one of the things I think that defines her and it's there. We definitely get it with, with several moments in this episode, but we get the action hero a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get the stoic Jedi a lot more, and maybe that's just where she is in this journey and we weren't prepared for it as an audience. But I think because of that, instead of focusing on Rosario's face and the performance, we're looking at these creases in the head tails and, uh, and, and focusing on that. And, and to me, that's a, it's not an indicator that the head tails are a problem. It's an indicator that there's an issue with the characterization to a certain degree, um, or at least the way that it was presented and, and the moments in time that it was presented. I think that we'll look back on this in a couple of years and we won't have any of these problems though. I I, th- I I think that once these gaps have started to be filled in and and we see Ahsoka's character post Star Wars Rebels, whenever we get that sequel series, it'll start to make more sense. It'll start to jive more. We'll go, okay, this is where she is. As it's it's like it's like if you saw Luke in a new hope and then you jumped to The Last Jedi, you'd be like, How did this character get from here to there? Right. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. And if you didn't have Empire and Jedi, as well as like the 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 sort of uh, other stories that we have uh, that have been told so far. Um, and certainly once we get the full stories of everything, I think that we'll have a much better, you know, uh, idea of Luke's journey as well. But 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 can you imagine if if you left Luke in that yellow jacket uh, at the end of of um uh, a new hope which i think is where a lot of people left ahsoka which is at the end of the clone wars and and not as many people have watched rebels as have watched the clone wars not as many people are familiar with her from rebels as they are from clone wars so and certainly that's the last time that we saw her in real time mm-hmm. was at the end of that so that's our touch point right now going into this i think and i and i think that that was one of the issues yeah so i think that'll change over time yeah and i i definitely see what you're saying about having her having kind of that lack of compassion but it's interesting because now that i'm thinking about it as you're making that comparison like this almost seems like more of a jump directly from the end of clone wars to to now like and not just visually but you know when you see her survive order 66 and think of like the trauma that she must have gone through like having her own clones trying to kill her and just you know, yep. the, just the look on her face as she's standing there in that last shot with the cloak and, you know, drops her lightsaber. I could see her going straight from that to to this, to, you know, assassinating guys in the forest. But, you know, but since we've seen Rebels, which is much closer and she still has a lot of that same warmth and compassion that she had in Clone Wars, I do think, you know, it makes it a little more obvious that that's missing here. Um but as yeah. you said, this is just a little slice of the story. And once we see more of her in this time period, whether it's in live action or animation, I think, like you said, it'll start to gel a little bit better um, yeah. with. You know, I, do, I mean, I do think that that where we leave her chronologically in at the end of Rebels is in a very traumatic place as well. She's just fought with Vader to the death. Yeah. Her death. Right. And and she should be dead. And I, and I think that um, 
without knowing what happens in between the moment that Ezra rescues her and and the moment that we see her on Corvus, it's very difficult to understand, like, why is she on this? I, I, I mean, obviously, she is on the the mission to find Thrawn slash Ezra because she owes Ezra a debt, right? Yeah. But why has it taken this long, right? Because we're because we're 10 years later from that, at least. I like what what was the delay in this? What 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 has she been doing in the interim and how guilty does she feel about that? And how brutal is she going to be against Thrawn's allies, knowing that? I mean, like, like uh, the the implication that I get is that Thrawn isn't lost in the unknown regions, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, well, yeah, because I mean, how else would how would uh, the magistrate know where he is? Exactly. You know, so if, if he and Ezra were still off in wild space or whatever. Um, so one one of two things is true: them. either either Thrawn is holding Ezra prisoner, or uh, or Ezra is still out, like Thrawn abandoned Ezra somewhere out there, mm-hmm. right? So you know, like, uh, like, like, uh, there, there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered, and I think that they will in due time. But, but where we're at right now, we still have a lot of those question marks, and I think that that colors this episode a lot. Yeah, uh, this portrayal. So, anyways, uh, let, let's keep going. Let's let's power through a little bit more of this. So we right. talk about. Talk about our the actual characters. We've talked so much about Ahsoka, but this is this episode is actually about Din and Grogu. So <laughs> let's keep going. All right. Uh, the following morning, Ahsoka tests the strength of Grogu's abilities. She uses the Force to levitate a small stone through the air, which the child catches. She asks him to pass it back to her, but he simply tosses the rock aside, and Ahsoka asks Din to try the exercise instead. Grogu still stubbornly refuses to move the rock, but when Din pulls the control knob from the ship out of his belt, Grogu uses the Force and pulls it through the air and into his hand. Despite his success, Ahsoka says that she cannot train the child as he has developed a strong emotional attachment to the Mandalorian. Such attachments can lead to fear and anger, and she has seen the disastrous consequences that these feelings can have on a powerful Jedi. And I love what? The, just, oh, man. just her reaction to this. I And I don't know if you felt this way, like, hearing her say that at first, saying, like, no, oh, I sense too much fear and anger in him, I was like... I mean, you walked away from the Jedi, but you're saying the same things that like Mace Windu and Yoda would say in kind of that same like dogmatic Jedi way that led to their yeah. downfall. But then you think about it and it makes perfect sense because she heard the Jedi warning against all that stuff and saw Anakin rebel against it and then saw what happened to him. And so at least yeah. in this particular instance, she's like, OK, yeah, maybe they were right. Like maybe fear and anger and stuff does lead to the dark side because it's not just like this ominous warning. Like I've seen it and I don't want to have any part in leading somebody else down that same path. I think that where Ahsoka is now having confronted Vader and not having resolution to that yet. Um, which I think like there's a story to tell there of her gaining that resolution uh-huh. with Anakin. Um, I think it'll be through Ezra. I think it'll be through that journey. Um, but until that point, she is. This is projection. She's afraid. Uh-huh. She won't train Grogu because she's afraid of what he could become. She's afraid of failing him in the way that Obi-Wan failed Anakin 
and that Anakin failed her, right? Like when we look at it, we we look at we let's look at the lineage of these of these Jedi. Let's go all the way back to Yoda. Yoda trains Dooku. Yoda fails Dooku. Dooku leaves the Jedi Order, right? He becomes a Sith. Yoda messed up. Dooku trained Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon conflicted with the Jedi Order his entire life, basically. Qui-Gon dies at the hand of the Sith. <laughs> Dooku failed Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. Didn't prepare him for that for that fight. Qui-Gon leaves Obi-Wan with this responsibility, makes him promise to train Anakin. Obi-Wan should not have trained Anakin. That was a mistake. Qui-Gon fails Anakin, fails Obi-Wan and Anakin by not surviving. <laughs> Obi-Wan fails Anakin. We don't need to get into that. We understand that. Anakin fails uh, Ahsoka in during the trial, right? Like he 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 doesn't he tries he he definitely tries to clear her name but he doesn't do enough to certainly like plead with obi-wan and and the others to consider ahsoka's character right like they like and it's a it's a complicated thing but but he does fail her and then and then he tries to kill her like the next time that they see each other he tries to kill her not the next time next time but you know what i mean uh-huh. um so ahsoka comes from a lineage of very bad Jedi mentors. (laughs) And I think that she's apprehensive because she looks at this. She knows this history. Maybe she doesn't know all of the details of what I just said, like we do, but she certainly knows enough to know what she says, like even the best of us. Right. I, and, and, and so she's afraid she's hiding, right? She if she weren't, she would have been in the original trilogy, but she's not. She's not in the original trilogy. She doesn't rejoin the rebellion. She doesn't fight alongside. She doesn't train Luke. Right. Mm-hmm. Which she should have. If she were confident in her abilities, if we're assuming that she returns to Malachor, sim- like along the same timeline as she left it, yeah, I think- maybe she doesn't return to Malachor until after Return of the Jedi. We don't know. Well, I right? think, in, and I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've watched the world between yeah. worlds, but I thought she tells Ezra like, "You have to put me back in my own timeline" or something like that, because then I yeah. think she tells him like, or one of them says to the other like, "Come find me after this is all over." like indicating yeah. that there's going to be like, they're not going to be in the same timeline anymore, but that she's going to go back to her own time, like with the knowledge of, of kind of where things are going to yeah. be at. Um, in, in any case, she's absent from the, from the war. Right. Yeah. And she, and she hasn't at this point after, after the battle of Endor, she hasn't sought out Luke Skywalker to rebuild the Jedi order. Why hasn't she, what's going on there? Right. And like, these are all question marks. I don't have the answers to these questions, but um, but they're important questions that we have to ask, right? And so I think that that's kind of what we're getting across here. It's important context for Grogu's story, which is why will she not train Grogu? The other thing is that I think that she has some insight and understands that there, like, there was a fatal flaw to the Jedi. One of those fatal flaws was removing potential Jedi from their families. Yeah, it it created not it's not that attachment is necessarily the necessarily the problem. 
I said this to to Crystal after we watched the episode, like the problem with the Jedi isn't attachment. The problem is detachment. Of course, Anakin Skywalker fell to the dark side. Of course he did. He loved his mother. They removed him from his mother at a very old age. She died because of his inaction, his his inability to save to go back and save her, even with all of the power that he has. He didn't go back and do that. She saved herself. Right. But but that's a whole other thing. That but that series of events leads Anakin down the path of the dark side. So when he's confronted with the with the fact that Padme is going to die in childbirth, as he sees it as a fact, it's this perfect opportunity for Palpatine to seize on this weakness that the Jedi have, which is not that they are detached. It's that they can't process attachment Mm -hmm. properly. So Anakin, Anakin doesn't love Padme in a healthy way. He loves her in this very unhealthy way in this very controlling way. And then goes down the path of, I have to control life and death. Right. As opposed to, I, I, a, a healthier way of processing that, but who's going to teach him that healthier way? Is Obi-Wan going to teach him that? No, Obi-Wan doesn't know anything about attachment. Obi-Wan makes the choice with Satine to not, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, like, there's a whole thing of Satine saying, you know, if I, if you would ask me, he says, like, if you would ask me to leave the order, I would have. And it's Satine being the much, much more mature, uh, wiser one in that relationship says, I know that's why I never did. Right. Yeah. And that's because Obi-Wan couldn't handle it. He couldn't deal with that attachment because Qui-Gon couldn't teach it to him. Yoda couldn't teach it to him because they were all trained in the same thing. They were all taken from a young age and trained in the Jedi temple to not form these attachments, not form these bonds. It's, abstinence versus education right (laughs) that's a good way to put it so so how could a jedi how could ahsoka who was also raised in that environment teach grogu now she can't who can well we have we have a couple of options Mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely one jedi i can think of that would be a great teacher for grogu somebody who grew up with his own family until the, until they were taken from him, but then found another family and still became a powerful Jedi uh, and, and sacrificed himself in order to save that family. Right. Like, like I think Ezra is the perfect teacher for Grogu because Ezra would not, he wouldn't want to separate Grogu and Din he understands that they're stronger together. The other part of this is that I'm going to keep banging this drum until I'm proven. Otherwise the path forward for the Mandalorians and the Jedi is together, Hmm. not separate, not as the Mandalorians and the Jedi, but as something else together. If the clone wars didn't show us that if star Wars rebels didn't show us that if the Mandalorian isn't showing us that, then what is the point of all of these stories having both Mandalorians and Jedi together? What's the point? And Ray is still a Kenobi. As far as I'm concerned, she's, she's part of the, 
the she is related to the Duchess Satine, uh, and she is a Mandalorian and a Jedi until I'm proven otherwise. That's my head canon, and that's how this all plays out until I'm proven otherwise. Uh, that's how I choose to see it, and I'm crazy for thinking that because her story has been told. Uh, and and I don't think that Lucasfilm is being that clever or coy with it. Um, uh, not that they're incapable of it. I just don't think that that's what they're doing. But until canon confirms otherwise, that's my head canon. Uh, and I, I, yeah, there's a reason why we haven't talked about Corky. We don't know where he went. <laughs> I He's mean, obviously I mean, you say until you're. I, I mean, I say you. Uh, you say until you're proven wrong. I think the Rise of Skywalker puts it pretty plainly that she's a palpatine whether we like that or not but that's all hey like don't be misogynistic that's only one half of her bloodline we know absolutely nothing about her mother that's true that's absolutely true. nothing that is a blank canvas now i all we know that. one thing she's got brown hair and an accent now that's it i will also say I mean that that's a yeah. one in a trillion possibility out of all the people in the galaxy that she could be related to Obi Wan because also the people that think that Obi Wan and Satine really had a relationship and Corky's their secret love child or whatever I'm like okay that's all head canon hey, again I think no the- okay no it is between the lines it is subtext but Satine and Obi Wan absolutely got down one hundred percent there is no denying that. Go back and watch those episodes. There is no way that didn't happen. And it's also not against the Jedi Code. That's not against the Jedi Code. Forming a permanent attachment to somebody is against the Jedi Code. There's nothing in the Jedi Code about... I I, 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 I don't know how I want to say this. I, being intimate with another person. There's nothing about that. And how would powerful Jedi bloodlines continue without it? It has to have happened. It has to be. There has to be an allowance. It doesn't have to. That wasn't a thing until Rise of Skywalker. Sure, but well, no, that's not true. That's not true. It absolutely was. It's that's it's 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 in the original trilogy. It's a very important part of the original trilogy. In any case, in any case, it that they absolutely were together in that way at some point. And and along the lines of what I said, we this we're getting way off track. <laughs> way along off the lines track. of what I said about about Satine saying like I know, and that's why I never asked you. There is a subtext there that you could fit in a story of she had a child. That that child maybe it's Corky, maybe it's somebody else. We don't know, but she could have had a child. She wouldn't have told Obi Wan. She never would have told Obi-Wan. She would have died with that knowledge and kept it a secret because of what that would have meant for Obi-Wan because of the type of person that he is. And she knows that. And all I'll say is that they think they've got a story worth telling that he's getting his own series. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. But, but in any case, it's, it's, this is all headcanon stuff. But if you try and deny that they got down... I will fight you. I will fight well, you. To, I, I kind of want to go more into that fight, but we should save that for another time. Cause that's definitely another the, time. The, uh, the, the legality of intimacy in relation to the Jedi code has nothing to do with this episode, but um, where the heck were we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll continue. 
In a last desperate attempt to gain Ahsoka's help, Din tells her that the Magistrate has hired him to kill her. He has no plans to do so, but he offers to help Ahsoka deal with the Magistrate once and for all if she'll if she'll agree to make sure Grogu, oh boy, agree to make sure Grogu is a difficult sentence, is properly trained. As they walk back to the city, toward the city, Tano explains that Morgan Elsbeth's people were wiped out during the Clone Wars, but she survived and went on to become an industrialist who helped fuel the Imperial war machine. Din relays the details of Elsbeth's forces that he saw while in the city. They're too much for Tano to take on alone, but if a Mandalorian and a Jedi were to take them on together, they'd never see it coming. Why is that line in there if not to hint at something larger? That's all I'm saying. Oh well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing with you on that. I just I I don't see Ray as yeah. like the culmination. <laughs> yeah, Kenobi. Uh, yeah, as yeah. as as the the union of the the Duchess of Mandalore and the greatest Jedi who ever lived. Yeah, it's a stretch, but <laughs> um, it would it it would I don't want to say it would explain stuff, but it would definitely make a lot more sense than what we got. I have to grasp at straws because <laughs> otherwise all I'm left with is the desiccated husk that is Rise of Skywalker. Oh, um, I won't can't go an there. episode without saying something like that. <laughs> I can continue. Um, okay. Well, oh, one one interesting thing I Sorry, wanted to ahead. point out on this real quick as they're talking about uh, Morgan Elsbeth and all that. Did you see that apparently like one of the the like hair and makeup artists from the show – uh, posted something on Twitter or Instagram and basically let slip that uh, she's supposed to be one of the survivors of Dathomir. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big deal if that's true. Yeah. Now, if I, that ends up being the case, I see that because she doesn't seem like a significant character that's gonna like have reoccurring appearances. Now, I could be wrong because I also thought that about like uh, Pelimoto and. Um, Gosh, who else am I thinking of? From oh, the the Mithral from season one. I never thought yeah. we'd see them again. So maybe she'll be like the main villain in season three or four after they take out Moff Gideon. I don't know. Um, this seems to me like something that could have just been like an initial idea that they were toying with, and then decide like the fact that it's not in the episode. I'm not taking it as canon until it's confirmed elsewhere because you know coming from like a behind the scenes crew person that again that could have just been something that maybe was an early idea that didn't make the final cut yeah. um but i could see it working i mean she's got like kind of the whole red and black garb going on but she also just doesn't look quite like she doesn't have like enough of like a, a sort of mystical like witchy kind of look to be a night sister now she also has come a long yeah. way since then and, and has been working working for the empire and stuff so We've also never seen a night sister in live action. That's the closest true. we've gotten, the closest we've gotten is Marin in Fallen Order. Right. And honestly, that's kind of what I'm comparing it against. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even Marin um, has like paler skin and more of like the face tattoos and stuff like that. But Marin, Marin is also Caucasian, which uh, Asajj was Caucasian, right? Like, the 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 examples that we have of night sisters we really have one tribe of night sisters as an example we don't know how many more tribes of night sisters there were on dathomir we also don't know if there were night sisters on planets other than dathomir right so i uh, there's room there's there's room for some uh some racial disparity uh here and uh and and for for uh this character to also be a night sister let's not 
make the mistake of we didn't know that there were blue mon calamari until we saw blue mon calamari right true so it's like like we star wars fans get pigeonholed in these concepts and i don't know if pigeonholed is the right word but like really stuck in like but that's not what we saw in this and it's like yeah it's not what we saw in that. It's what we're seeing in this. And if that's what they're saying, then you have to make room for that being the reality. Yeah. That's just, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, no, and, but and there are I, a lot of I fans wanna, who don't I have that ability. Clear, I'm not judging by the skin tone saying you can't have an Asian night sister. I'm just saying, you know, the, for sure. the costuming, the facial markings, all that kind of stuff. I felt yeah. like they could have done more to suggest if that, that if were she the case. actually was yeah. one. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it it could have been a more important part of the story, but at the same time, I I felt like there was something more going on there, um, and the fact that she's able to fight Asai Asa, Ahsoka, uh, it makes more sense. It makes a lot more sense, and then and the name as well of 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 Morgan, uh, which which That's kind true. of uh, connects into Morgan, uh, which is like a arthur and anyways mm-hmm. that there's a very there is a witch vibe with the magistrate there is a um there is a a witchy vibe throughout this episode particularly the woods have a very witchy vibe and we find a good witch in the in the woods and the evil witch in the city right like yeah. i think that there's a that there's a parallel to be drawn there um, that's a good point too because it's funny when i first heard that i just thought Oh, I'm kind of glad that they didn't put that in the episode and I'm going to kind of take that as like not a thing until it's officially confirmed somewhere because I feel like it maybe would have been just one too many like Easter eggs or like canon connections dropped in this episode when you've also got, you know, Thrawn and all this Jedi stuff and everything going on. Um, But I think the more I think about it and kind of process it, I'm like, "Eh, I guess that would have been actually kind of cool and be the first time that we see a Night Sister in live action and all that kind of stuff, but totally continue um, all right the guards atop the gates of caladan ring a large gong in alarm as ahsoka appears out of the misty forest and sprints toward the city she effortlessly effortlessly scales the wall and dispatches the guards with her lightsabers then gracefully jumps down to the main city street below elsbeth lang a pair of hk87 assassin droids and a small army of guards await her arrival near the inner city gate where several citizens are imprisoned in electrified cages Ahsoka tosses Din's pauldron with the Mudhorn Signet at the Magistrate's feet and tells her the bounty hunter failed. She gives her one last chance to surrender and demands to know where her master is. Elspeth refuses refuses and orders her forces to kill the Jedi. Uh, we'll just continue through this action. Uh, Lang and the guards open fire and Ahsoka leaps up to a nearby rooftop while deflecting their shots, then disappears from sight. Elspeth orders Lang and the guards to pursue the Jedi and execute the prisoners. Then she retreats into the inner city wall. As Lang and his troops spread through out through the city, the two guards uh, stay behind to execute the prisoners. But Din flies in on his jetpack and guns them down before they get the chance. A man named Wing, watching from a nearby doorway, comes out to help, and he and Din free the captives and get them to safety. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like this is this was their plan, right? Uh, Ahsoka will draw off a bunch of the guards, and then he'll come in and do his thing. And uh, these the the these cages, these electrified cages, are really interesting. I got kind of like a 
there's a bit of like a crucifixion vibe to it, but also a little bit of like a Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like like the like the hanging pirate cages uh, uh, that we see in in something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but just a a, a very uh, well done disturbing image of these people being tortured, and that's one of those other things where I see that and go like there's there's something more going on with this character why is she keeping these people like this mm-hmm. right what is she doing to them when they're not in those cages uh anyways yeah i i you want to keep going uh yeah sure um the guards move through the streets and alleyways of the city in search of the jedi ahsoka sticks to the shadows stealthily dispatching one foe after another while avoiding detection Lang and the assassin droids manage to corner her, but she cuts down one of the droids and escapes onto a rooftop. Lang orders the remaining droid to pursue her, then heads back to the main street to confront the Mandalorian. Din ushers the last of the captives to safety, then turns to face Lang before the inner gate. Ahsoka stands atop the wall behind him, then leaps down into the magistrate's compound. More great action. Uh, And Ahsoka confronts Elspeth on the stone bridge inside her sanctuary. The Jedi ignites her lightsabers while the magistrate takes up a fighting stance with her spear. Morgan strikes first, Ahsoka blocks, and Beskar clashes against blades of pure energy. Outside, the two gunslingers stare each other down, hands tensely placed on their weapons, while listening to the sound of the duel. Lang slowly approaches Mando and tries to convince him that they're not so different, and that this isn't a cause worth dying for. I love the, these moments with, with Lang. Mm-hmm. I love the juxtaposition of we've got the Western gunslingers out front and then the samurai fighting inside. Like it's just these two things together. Yeah. Um, it, it's very cool. It actually reminds me of a movie that I really love called red sun. Um, that's a, it's an old Western um, about a cowboy and a samurai that have to team up. I, I, and it is from, like the seventies it's, it's a great movie. It's a fantastic Western. Um, if, if, if it's, and I think it is, I, I, I think, I think it's actually named, uh, Soleil Rouge, which is uh, red sun in, um, I French, uh, French, uh, but it's, it's, it's Charles Bronson and Toshiro, uh, Mifune, um, and who directed it? Who directed it? Uh, Terrence Young. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a very cool movie uh, from 1971. And I think that Charles Bronson's character influenced Han Solo a lot. Yeah. The relationship between the cowboy, Charles Bronson's cowboy and Toshiro Mifune's samurai is very much the the relationship between Obi-Wan and Han Solo. I. Uh, there's a there's a lot of that stuff going on there so uh people should check that out but but it, it reminded me of that um very much <laughs> i'll just say that yeah the, just the, the juxtaposition of these two styles that are that are one's american one's japanese but they're actually very similar um, which is one of the things that mando has done so well yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, it was a cool juxtaposition between those scenes, but especially I just loved the vibe of that, the fight scene inside the sanctuary where they're like on the bridge over the water. And when she yeah. takes up the pose with the spear and like strikes it against the ground. And again, it makes that ringing chime sound. Um, yeah. And then just the sound effects of like that clashing against the lightsabers. And there was something about this episode 
and obviously Dave Filoni did this intentionally with the visuals, but um, the the way that it even inside the the sanctuary where it looks, you know, nicer um, than like the sort of grimy outer part of the city, like it's still like the just the color palette is very like sort of dark and muted, and so when Ahsoka ignites these white lightsabers, it just cuts through it i mean like you know when i wrote that intro yeah. paragraph it says something about the lightsabers like blazing in the darkness or whatever just every scene i mean lightsabers are always cool and and they're always going to stand out but it was like just a very particularly striking visual anytime she lit those yeah. up um and i just love those you know those visual directing choices for sure let's uh let's 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 get through this last little bit so that we can uh talk about the the end of the episode yeah uh, go ahead uh the magistrate proves to be a capable warrior and even manages to knock away one of ahsoka's lightsabers but tano fights fiercely and manages to disarm her opponent hearing the beskar spear clang to the ground lang concedes that his side has lost and he kneels to the ground to lay down his weapon he quickly reaches for a small blaster in his boot but din is quicker on the draw and shoots lang through the chest the villagers come out of hiding, and Wing warns Mando as the last assassin droid comes creeping down from a rooftop. Din quickly turns and fires, taking out the droid with a clean headshot. Um, yeah, I mean the the the, the setup for all this, the way that it's paced, is just perfect. Yeah, with the with Lang and everything. Uh, read read this sentence, and then we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was like. This needs to be its own little thing. Of course, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, yeah. back inside the compound, Ahsoka holds her remaining saber to the magistrate's throat and demands to know the location of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, gosh, this was just so freaking cool. I mean, obviously, once you have Ahsoka in the episode, and especially once we know that she's after some kind of information or she's like, who's your master? Yeah. Like just the the huge star wars nerd in me connecting the dots to all the other stuff is like she's after thrawn right but at the same time like it was one of those things i'm like oh i don't want to get my hopes up too high like it could just be gideon it could be some other imperial or something like that like yeah. and it wasn't until like even as she said grand admiral my mind was still scrambling going who is it and she said thrawn and i was just like there it is I mean, it's it's this is the first time that the name Grand Admiral Thrawn has been uttered in live action. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it's a it's a big moment. It's a big deal for a lot of fans. Um, I'm not a big Thrawn fan, so I don't I don't think that I care as much as other people. But but for people who are big Thrawn fans uh, from from back in the back in the day, uh, I think that this is a very, very big deal. And I'm glad that they got their moment. I I do think that this has nothing to do with the Mandalorian. Oh, I agree. As I said before, this is this is completely to do with the Ezra storyline, and that'll be something else. Now that, that's I not part of this. The the one caveat I have to that is because you're right. I think going after Thrawn is Ahsoka's quest, and I think we're going to see that continued in a different story with her. Unless if Thrawn is back and like controlling things in the galaxy and having ties to his old Imperial allies and stuff, we could potentially find out that Moff Gideon is working under Thrawn and that Moff yeah. Gideon is not the be all end all of like the Imperial baddies in this show. <clears throat> and I think, um, you know, if if Mando is just following his own storyline, ends up, you know, having to go toe to toe with Moff Gideon and then finds out there's a bigger, badder Imperial out there who maybe also is after the child uh, and, you know, he, he could end up crossing paths with Thrawn as well later down the line and then maybe come back into contact with Ahsoka. She's also looking for him. Um, so that could be another possibility. 
Yeah, I mean, all of it is definitely uh, uh, up for debate until until we hear otherwise. But my gut is that this is completely disconnected, um, and that Thrawn is another thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know because I think that that Moff Gideon is going to be connected in with the First Order, with the beginnings of the First Order, mm-hmm. and I think that we're more likely to find out that um, that Hux's grandfather is the one pulling the strings at the top of all of this. Um, and, uh, but because we know that he was important in the formation of the first order. So uh, when I look at Gideon and I look at his armor and I look at the, uh, at the dark troopers and stuff, I, I get more first order vibes. Like we're getting we're It's, it's, it feels like it's connective tissue between the empire and the first order. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly with the tie fighters, with the folding wings and stuff like that, like that stuff all feels very, um, uh, connecting to the sequel trilogy, whereas Thrawn, I think of as being part of what came before, um, and also like I think that the Chiss ascendancy will be a different threat. Um, that that's that that's another thing. Yeah, that that we might find out that the Chiss are are uh, uh, being set up as villains for a story in the future. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something I just thought of too. Cause I was thinking if Thrawn is still leading like an Imperial remnant that could tie into the first order as well, which is why that could all be connected with yeah. Gideon and everything, but maybe he's now sort of disconnected himself from the empire. And, and the yeah, I, I don't be the bigger part of it because I'm not up on all of the Thrawn books. Like I've, I've, I've really only uh, half read the one with uh, Anakin slash Vader in it. Um, uh, which I think that's Thrawn allegiances. I, I, I don't know enough about Thrawn and about the Chiss. And I know that the newer books, that's what they're about. They're sort of, they're, they're more prequels and how Thrawn became Thrawn. I'm sure that they are important in regards to his story moving forward. So, but again, this is not, that's not the Mandalorian story. Let's, let's finish this out so that we can talk about this and then, and then start to wrap things up with the mailbag. Um, the people of the city celebrate their liberation and they appoint wing as their new governor. Ahsoka congratulates Din on their success and offers him the magistrate's Beskar spear. Din initially refuses as he never completed the job he was offered it for, but Ahsoka insists that the weapon belongs in the hands of a Mandalorian with their mission complete. Din returns to the razor crest to say his goodbyes to Grogu before sending him off to train with the Jedi. Ahsoka appears outside the ship and tells Din that she can't train the child, but offers another solution. She tells him to take Grogu to the planet Tython and place him on the seeing stone in the ruins of an ancient Jedi temple. There, Grogu may choose his own path, and another Jedi may sense his presence through the Force. Din thanks Ahsoka for her guidance, and she watches with a smile as the Razor Crest takes off from Corvus. I... The 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 scene where Din gets back and he's and and Grogu is sleeping in the little hammock and he sort of gently rocks him awake and he says we got to say goodbye and then we cut and it's a it's a fade to the next shot which which implies the passage of time as the two of them just kind of sit there, um, and and you can kind of tell that like he's that he's been taking care of him. He's, he looks like he's putting his clothes back on, right? Yeah. So it's like I uh, maybe cleaned him up, gave him some food, sort of thing. Spent a little bit of time together before 
uh, him going off with, with Ahsoka. And you get the sense that he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to say goodbye. Yeah. Um, that they've, that, that not only has Grogu formed an attachment to the Mandalorian, but Din has also formed an attachment to this child. So they belong together. I think we all agree on that. I don't think that we even have to debate that part of it. Uh, and I think that Ahsoka sees that. I I think that at the core of everything that she does, she sees that she knows that, that, that these two have found each other and that, that, that it's important and it's significant. So um, her then giving him guidance of like, Hey, go to this place. I love that. She's giving Grogu the chance to make the choice for himself. Yeah. What path does he want to follow? Um, I do think that he'll still continue down the path of, of the force, Maybe not the Jedi specifically, but certainly the Force, um, because I because otherwise why? Like he's not going to become a little Mandalorian with his own armor and jetpack, right? Although that would be freaking There's, cool, but it's not going to happen. It would be awesome, but um, uh, yeah, I I I, th- I think that that we're headed towards something, um, with these two characters uh, in the future, but uh, I. Yeah, I'm excited to go to Tython, a planet from from uh, from Legends. Yeah, I, Old Republic. Yeah, I'm, I um, I was hugely excited about that. I don't know. Have you ever played the Old Republic, uh, the MMO game? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't. But when you play as the Jedi classes, Tython is the planet you start out on, and there's yeah. a Jedi temple there and a bunch of ancient ruins and stuff you get to explore. I mean, I always thought that in the sequel trilogy, Tython is what they should have used for Octo you know, setting up mm-hmm. that Luke went searching for the first Jedi temple. I'm like, man, it was right there. So I'm really excited that they're, they're bringing that yeah. into the Mandalorian. And I can't wait to see that come to life on screen to, to me. And I think that this is what will get confirmed through some of the environmental storytelling. Octo is the first Jedi temple. It's like, like the, 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 the original um, practitioners of the Jedi way. Right. Mm-hmm. Tython is the home world of the of the original Jedi Order, which is a different thing, right? Like like when the Jedi became more than just this one group of beings and became the order that would gather beings from across the galaxy and started searching out um, other force sensitives. I, I like to me, I think that's where that'll fit in is that like Tython is the seat of the first Jedi Council. Right. Yeah. As opposed to Octo being where the Jedi originated. And and when I see Octo and we see the caretakers, I don't think the first Jedi were human. I think that the Jedi on Tython were human. Right. Like primarily. And that's when like that's when it changed. Right. It is when it when it started to spread to the other races yeah. uh, throughout the Star Wars galaxy. And that's where Tython comes in is is at that point in history. So we'll see it as like the seat of of the former Jedi Order uh, that predates even the 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 temple on Coruscant. Right? Yeah. And um, I mean, to be completely honest, I'm not even expecting to get that much of the backstory and lore of it explained and everything, especially not on. Screen. No, I don't think maybe, we will. Maybe in a visual dictionary or something like that, but it yeah. would just be nice to see something that actually resembles. Like you said, looks like there was an actual Jedi Order there as opposed to just like a bunch of huts in a tree like we got on Octo. Totally, totally. Let's uh, let's jump into the mailbag and see uh, what uh, what what you guys had to say, uh, the the listeners, as it were. Uh, uh, Marty Ailman over on Facebook posts 
Uh, at, after now watching the episode four times as of Monday, the episode this episode has to be my favorite of the entire series so far. Ahsoka was part of the reason, but there was so much to love about it. Bravo, Rosario, you've done the impossible. Her overall design for me was a spot-on translation to live action. Uh, period. But more importantly, her understanding of the character uh, so, uh, uh, was so apparent. When she looks at the disarmed guard near the end and gives that Ahsoka smirk, all I saw was snips. But the main reason why I loved this episode so much was now Dave was able to balance a very Eastern aesthetic with the techniques of Western storytelling, which is exactly what George Lucas did over 40 years ago with the original film. The two duels at the end of the, of the, sorry, at the end of the, at the end I this is I think you got a typo in here. Uh, yeah, I think Marty, so. But uh, uh, the samurai fight cut together with a classic gunslinger standoff was perfection. I don't think I've seen a more Star Wars sequence in live action than that. Well done, Lucasfilm, and thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I think that 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 Marty is saying a lot of stuff that we said. Um, but I'm glad that he enjoyed it. I know that this was a big deal for him. This episode, I over on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> I Tim Dipple at TD Gamer posted, I enjoyed her performance uh, and she definitely looked the part. Hope to see her more as the voice is going to take some getting used to, but I managed to do it with Obi-Wan and Anakin, so I'm open to it. The visual shift from Western to Samurai was awesome. There that is again, right? People notice this. Um, I saw a post from somebody, uh, actually it got posted in the in the Thunderquack Facebook group of I I I, most Star Wars fans don't even know that uh, George Lucas was influenced by Akira Kurosawa. And I took real offense to it because I was like, um, no, most Star Wars fans do know that. <laughs> that is like, a, that's like Star Wars 101. After you've enjoyed the movies and you start digging deeper, one of the first things yeah. that you learn, there are two things that you learn. You learn the name Joseph Campbell and you learn the name Kurosawa. And, and I think that most fans are fully aware of that connection. But. I mean, I, I think it depends on what you sort of define as a fan and people's levels sure. of how enthusiastic they are about Star Wars. Because if you're saying like most of the general audience that goes to see it a couple times in the theater and thinks, oh yeah, I like Star Wars movies. Like, I think there's a difference. But. There's a difference between people who like Star Wars and people who identify themselves as Star Wars fans, right? Capital S, capital W, capital F, Star Wars fan. Yeah, um, the kind of people, and that, I think the, that, the kind of people that know to put two E's on Wookie. Exactly, and that listen to a podcast like this, <laughs> yeah. and that post on Twitter about Star Wars and whatever. Uh, over on Instagram, black underscore James 20 posted. I loved it. This show started out small with this bounty hunter. No one knew about now it introduced one of the best animated characters to live action hats off to John and Dave. And then we get a comment from the old man himself, the crankster coming in. So Matt's finally given his, his feedback this season. Fantastic episode. Love Dawson as Ahsoka. Questions answered and new questions posed. Some quick thoughts. Yoda's theme, Thrawn, Western style duel, Kurosawa influences and look and feel. Can Ezra return? Lightsaber action was cinematic. Grogu, it's grown on me. Thumbs up. He's got a little thumbs up emoji. Grogu grew up in the Jedi Temple. Same birthday as Anakin? Question mark. Saved from Order 66 by who? Door is open for Luke's return? Uh, just a few thoughts. Miss talking the wars with Mike and the rest of the crew. Looking forward to hearing 
Star Wars FMI, uh, and he's got a little peace emoji. Well, thank you, Matt, for for writing in and letting us know what you thought of this episode, so that your your input was not missed. I think that we covered a lot of the stuff that you would have wanted us to cover, so I'm 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 happy. I'm happy with that. Uh, and then uh, uh, over at email, I uh, Sherston sent us in another email. Uh, great episode. I love the aesthetic of the village and Rosario Dawson was awesome. I kind of can't believe the quality of show we're getting with Mandalorian. Amanda needs to let us know if she tried the blue macarons. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep on her with that. We'll talk about that on, on the Thunder Quack podcast. Um, thank you guys for, for hitting us up uh, on social media uh, and, uh, and, and sending in emails. Uh, we appreciate it. We love connecting with you guys. Uh, but uh, but that's it. That does it for this episode. We, we did it. Uh, this is a doozy. This one's about two hours. Before we wrap up, I think one last yeah. thing. We got to give a shout out to uh, Ludwig Goranson for killing yes. music on this one. I mean, he does every episode. But man, hearing that was this was part of what really made the character for me was hearing Ahsoka's theme in live action. Yeah, um, I can't wait to get that that was, the second half of the season soundtrack because you know that Ahsoka's theme. Oh, I know will be in there. It was killing me. We um, missed it. We missed it by one episode. I'm by like, now week, I gotta wait four week, more weeks yeah. to be able to hear this. Yeah, it's fine. It's it'll be a nice Christmas present. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kyle, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Slim Avery. You can always uh, also hear me on Star Wars: The Saga Continues. Uh, at Star Wars TSC on Twitter, and you can check us out. We're on all the Thundercrack channels and all that good stuff. Um, we'll be recording uh, next week. We've been recording every couple of weeks because we don't typically follow every episode of The Mandalorian, but yeah. there hasn't really been a whole lot of other Star Wars stuff going on. So all of our episodes <laughs> have just been recapping the past couple episodes of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And given what we've got just in this episode, I don't know what's going to happen next week, but our next episode is probably going to be a really long one, but looking forward to it. For sure. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Kyle, for jumping in here on short notice. Uh, and thank you for writing the recaps with me. Oh, of course. Uh, that has been invaluable. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I, this, this was a great episode. Really great conversation. Yeah, so it was fun. Thank you uh, we'll be back next week. I don't have I, I don't. I'm doubtful that Matt's going to be back next week. He's doing his best to get back. But Come uh, on, we'll Matt, probably we have just... another. Yeah, we'll probably have another guest ep- a guest host next week as well. I don't know who that'll be. I got to figure it out. But uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.
Faster, More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more.